This is most certainly true. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He shines the light of his love into dark places, our world, our lives, our hearts. And his light chases away the darkness of sin and makes us to shine with his glory. And through his saving work, we will rise and shine to live forever in the glory of heaven. Behold the splendor of Jesus' love in this sermon recently delivered at Grace. The second reading from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians and to us in chapter 3. This is the basis for the sermon today. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in you, in your hearts, through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. She stood on the edge of the group of fourth graders, eager to be chosen to play on one side or the other in the recess soccer match. The captains took turns picking players, Brenda and Billy, Eddie and Emma, Olivia and Owen were chosen, but she was not. It's no fun feeling like the runt of the litter, feeling uncoordinated and left out. And she promised herself that would never happen again. But it did. Even though she grew physically and put in time to exercise and train, to run and lift, to eat muscle-building proteins, there was always someone who was faster, stronger, or more skilled. She felt so weak. He wanted to help, but he was unable to lift the big plastic bins packed with his college stuff. And he was unable to shift around his dorm room desk and bed because of the scoliosis, the curvature of the spine that developed when he was 13. All the other freshmen were hard at it, lugging and unloading, rearranging and readying their dorm rooms, but all he could do was watch. He felt so weak. 
He was fully vaccinated and boosted, and yet that relentless virus burst through. Seemed like everybody else had minimal symptoms and would recover somewhat quickly. But after some time, he still had shortness of breath, and inhaling deeply was, was a chore. He felt so weak. The nursing staff of the care facility did their best to keep her up to date with PT and OT, but osteoporosis had set in along with early stages of Parkinson's, which necessitated a walker. And the simple task that she loved so much now seemed out of reach and impossible. She had vowed to herself to keep alert mentally and physically independent, but, but she felt so weak. It's one thing to acknowledge and accept illness and the aging process. It's one thing to strive as best we can to stay physically fit and physically strong. But it's altogether another thing when God's command echoes in our brain, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. How have you been doing with that? Have you loved God with all your heart and soul and mind? Or are you more like me? And that it seems I'm loving God with half of my heart and some of my soul and most of my mind. Okay, there are some days when we try to do better and we try as we might and seem like things are going okay, but then way too often I knee-jerk into sinful inborn patterns and default behaviors that demonstrate trying as hard as I might, whether I try now or in the future, will not get me to the top rung of what God expects of you and what he expects of me. And that makes me feel so weak. The Apostle Paul understood what the Ephesian Christians were going through. They tried to get their act together, but they still kept sliding into old habits. And the issue for them was looking at other people who were different as though they were less beneath them. And their struggles burst into the open like pointy-edged pieces of wood trying to fit together when they started rubbing elbows with each other and communing together and wondering, should this person be standing here with me? Those with an Israelite background considered Greeks to be dirty and unspiritual. No appreciation for the history and rituals of the nation that God used to bring the Savior into the world. And the people who were native to the area of Ephesus and surrounding towns thought that the Israelite people were arrogant and haughty. That kind of bias and bigotry that kind of snootiness and bitterness were sinful. Clear evidence of how they were so weak in their Christian faith and life. And the Apostle Paul minced no words. He said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of God's wrath. 
These Ephesian Christians may have been in the prime of their life. They may have been as healthy as a horse. But when it came to striving for a loving connection with God, they were weak, actually dead. The Apostle Paul wasn't trying to be mean or to lord it over them. He simply wanted them to understand and recognize and know their weakness. He needed them, and they needed to know their weakness because the Apostle Paul knew what weakness was all about and where it leaves us. In a letter he had written to another group of Christians, a copy of which I believe the Ephesians had, he described the beatings and battery, shipwreck and imprisonment, hardship and hunger that he went through. And near the end of that same letter, he talked about a physical malady that he had. We don't know what it was. Recurring malaria, bad eyesight, a flare-up of arthritis, whatever it was. He calls it a thorn in his side, a constant drumbeat that said to him, Paul, you are weak, you are weak, you are weak. And as if that wasn't enough, five years later, the very time in which he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, he was under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial, the outcome of which he had no clue. He could look up from his desk and see the soldier who was standing guard right there in that house, watching him so he wouldn't escape or go away. Yes, he could receive visitors, but he felt like a COVID page patient under quarantine. So there he sat. He felt weak. There he sat, stewing about his situation and status with God, like Martin Luther in his monk's cell, dwelling not only on his past sins, but being honest about what he was really made of, what grabbed his heart, soul, and mind too often, what his core problem really was. And it wasn't some little slight defect on the inside, but what he recognized was really on the inside was evil, rebellion, rot, stink, the arrogant attitude toward God, I'll do it my way, and death, all of which added up to the apostles' honest admission, I am the chief of sinners, and the realization, I am weak. But like an unexpected firecracker right outside your window in the middle of the night, power came. Power from God. Power to do something that no one, not even the apostle, deserved or could do. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is the basis for an explanation for one of the most puzzling statements the Apostle Paul ever made in any one of his letters. When I am weak, then I am strong. And what he meant was, when he realized how weak he really was, when he realized how helpless and low and weak he really was, only then was he really able to appreciate what God had done for him in the Lord Jesus. That Christ Jesus himself had laid his life on the line and been himself so weak that he was willing to suffer torture, death by torture and abandonment in hell so that neither the Ephesians nor the Apostle nor you nor I would ever be separate from God, paying for our sinful weakness, 
the Apostle now realized that no matter how low and awful and weak he felt, God's power through Jesus had worked in his heart and life, rescued him, drawn him close into God's loving arms, and would carry him through the pearly gates. And that's why, no wonder he was so excited to write to these Ephesian Christians and to say, well, honestly, you are weak, dead in sin. But God has exercised his power for you. No matter how weak or how low or how beaten and battered you are, your relationship with God is strong because of Jesus. And that's how you can bear up through the sadness of sin, through the pressure of guilt, and through all the other weaknesses around you. The apostle says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds like a paradox, a puzzle, to say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Huh? But the solution to the puzzle is Jesus. He exerted galactic power to win our connection with God. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to work a massive miracle in your heart and mind, creating faith by using the power tool of his promises, whether alone or together with a few dribbles of water in baptism, so that whether we are weak and worn out right now, or even battered or burdened, we are strong in our connection with God. And that is how we cope. That is how we survive a pandemic. That is how we can smile in the face of suffering. And that is how the 43-year-old who had a really great family and a great job and had never been ill a day in his life but ended up hospitalized with a debilitating illness could say to me, Pastor, I believe that God has me flat on my back so I get a better look at him. And that is how you, my friends, can state with confidence, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And here's the surprise of these passages from the Apostle Paul. The power surge doesn't end there. Parents, and especially grandparents, like to brag about the potential of their kids and grandkids. But then reality sets in. And the reality of life is weakness. Even people who seem to be on easy street who have solid financial plans for the future, who seem to have plenty of income to withstand the coming inflation in 2022, still have fears. Whether they are behind their locked doors in their condos or apartments or their beautiful mansions behind gated walls, they still have fears and heartaches, illnesses, insecurities, losses, messed up relationships. Any one of us might lose an athletic career to an injury. Any one of us might lose a job because of a company merger and feel like we're left out in the cold with no time to be retrained. Any one of us might slip into the error of focusing too much on career and not prioritizing family. And all of that is evidence of sin around us. 
sin in us and weakness. We could try the old, well, if I just try harder, I'll be okay, or if someone would at least dump an inheritance on me, or if I showed a little more volunteer spirit, or if I just had enough in savings, or a better job, or more stuff, then I can relax and be okay. But none of that is going to count in our relationship with God and serving others because all of that other stuff amounts to zero and weakness. But because Jesus exercised his powerful love for you and then implants that powerful forgiving love in you, you can live for your God. You can make a difference in someone else's life. You can get over the me-firstness of your inborn sinful nature and serve others and put them first. You can cope with illness. You can become aged and infirm and still be a prayer warrior. You can lose a job and still go on with strength. You can mess up a relationship and fix it. You can even look death in the face and say, Death, you don't win, you lose. I win because of Jesus. And you can sing with the Apostle Paul. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his great power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. My dear Christian friends, because of Jesus' mighty, loving, forgiving power for you and in you, you can state with confidence, when I am weak, then I am strong. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, or to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, visit www.gracedowntown.org. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.